Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Marcel Van Nico. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Allow God to speak into your heart. Amen. Amen. I, I'm just sharing just a few stories because I want you, first of all, to just get used to my accent. Um, I'm going to maybe just add one more. In South Africa, we have a saying. We would refer to something that is a religious point where it's a tough thing to discuss. We would call it a holy cow. So whenever we say, I am going to poo on the holy cow's udder, <laughs> in South Africa, it means you are going to deal with something that is religiously just a bit difficult to discuss. The other day I said that in our meeting, oh guys, I'm going to poo on the holy cow's udder and everybody looked at me. And they're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> so, I was 11 years old. 11 years old, and I went to a scout camp with my older brother. And our scout program in South Africa is way different from in, this, um, in the States because boys and girls are mixed together. And they focus on two things. The two things they focus on, firstly, is, to, um, is the unity of the Afrikaans culture, which I grew up in. Afrikaans is my home language. The second thing they focus on at Scouts um, in South Africa that I attended was helping you to grow in maturity. So unity in the culture, the Afrikaans culture, the second thing was maturity. So... We attended this camp, my brother and I, and at these, camp, at, at these camps we would do activities like singing cultural songs. We'll play games around the fire. We'll do drama skits. You help cooking food. They teach you survival skills. They teach you life skills. Then there are a bit more intense activities like they appoint, um, everyone gets appointed to a shift during the evening where you have to patrol around the camp. And things like what they would call awareness activities, which brings me to today's story. So during one of these awareness activities, they decided that on this farm we were at, they were going to drop kids at guard towers. So it's a big tower that goes about 30 feet up into the air, and it was used for patrolling the area. Now, this farm just bear in mind, it's not just a little farm with a few cornfields. This was actually a military training camp. It was more than 5,000 acres. It was probably around 7,000 acres, but it also doubled up as a wildlife sanctuary. So what they did is, they, um, as it turned um, dark, they would take 10 kids and they will drop them off at one of these towers. And then two hours later, they'll come pick you up. And the idea is that while they drop you off, you're in this tower 30 feet above the ground. You're dead quiet. You're not allowed to speak to any other kids that are with you there. And you just grow aware of your surroundings. So the evening passed. It's pitch dark. You hear a lot of animal noises and things. Um, but you see, the catch was that when it came to the last tower, we were 11 kids on the truck. So they just said, well, all 11 of you get up there. And guess who was the 11th kid? This 11-year-old boy. So um, two hours la later, they came. They went past, I think there's about 10 towers. They went and collected all the kids. They came to ours. They counted one, two, three, up to 10 kids. They said, all aboard, let's get back home. Guess who was left alone in the dark corner of a tower because he was fast asleep, this little 11-year-old boy. 
And while the other kids got back safe to the camp, I could remember um, waking up very disorientated from a shaking sensation. Hmm, very interesting, we went through a shaking sensation recently um, over this weekend here in Pennsylvania. Um, pitch black, I could remember bats swirling all around and just being aware of all the animal noises and things around me. And I could remember I got up and I stood and I kind of called out and then realized I'm all alone in, the, in this tower. So meanwhile, back at the camp, um, it was about midnight. My friend wakes up because it's our turn to do patrol watch. And he's looking for me. He can't find me. About 12.30, early hours of the morning, we're not talking about the afternoon, he goes to my brother. He says, listen, I can't find your younger brother. My brother's up. They start looking. They can't find me. Around um, 12, it's now 2 in the morning, all the leaders in the camp are up, and they're starting to look for me. Back in the tower where I was fast asleep, I would wake up every so often from a shaking sensation and just from all different noises and things I would hear around me. By 3 o'clock, the whole entire camp is up, and they're frantically searching for the lost 11-year-old boy. 4 o'clock, now they've started sending out search parties, and they're actually making lines walking through the camp and the surrounding fields to try and find the lost 11-year-old boy. Back in the tower, I could remember that even though I was alone and I was 11 years old, and it's pitch black, I didn't have a light or anything with me, there was a peace that surpasses all understanding that was, that was over me. But I, I, I constantly just felt the shaking, and I didn't know what's the shaking going on. Anyway, around sunrise, just before sunrise, 5 o'clock, they sent a guy out on a motorcycle to go to each tower to see, isn't there maybe a kid left behind? Ever read the book Left Behind? I, okay. <laughs> um, so he goes around, and it just so happens that he gets to the last tower. It's about sunrise. I'm woken up by a strange man, and he says, come on, we need to get you back to camp. I get on a motorcycle with him, but what I didn't know is that as he was traveling from tower to tower to tower, there was about 10 of them, and he got to the last one. He couldn't approach the tower because guess what? There were five rhinoceros sleeping underneath the tower. <laughs> rhinoceros are part of the big five, not because of the bulk and how big they are, but because of how dangerous they are. Big five consists of the five most dangerous animals to encounter actually while hunting. So the thing is, it took him about 20 minutes to try and get these rhinoceros chased off. When you went to the bottom of this tower and you stood at the stilts that this tower was erected on, you could clearly see why it was their favorite spot because these poles were their scratching posts, which explained why I was waking up the whole evening from a shaking sensation. Um, I could remember as I'm on the back of this motorcycle driving to this camp, the kids and the leaders were lined up at the entrance of this gate um, and on the road on both sides. And there was a cheering and there, there was this anticipation because the guy radioed in, I found the lost 11-year-old boy. And as I came back, there was celebration and they were clapping hands and singing and welcoming me back to like a party. And there was this huge breakfast celebration because the lost 11-year-old boy was returned to camp. Theology. Theology is a relational journey of lost people that return back to the Father as sons and daughters. Theology is not a doctrine of Scripture. 
that reconciles man to God. Instead, it is spiritual truth that becomes alive in the hearts of men and women because of relationship, and they choose to turn back to God. And though this journey that we're on is reconciliation with the Father, at no point along this journey that we're on is the role of Jesus nor the importance of the Holy Spirit neglected. And that's very, very important to remember. Two weeks ago, I was teaching the kids back in Sunday school about Trinity and what it means. And what did I do? I did exactly the thing that my dad did when, with me when I was a young kid, and he wanted to describe, um, explain to me the Trinity. I went to the fridge, I grabbed the egg, and I came to church that Sunday, and I prepared to teach the kids about the Trinity. This morning, I just want you to work with me, because this is exactly what I did with the kids. So kids, who can tell me, what am I holding up? An egg. Wow, it's an egg. How many eggs am I holding up, guys? One egg. Wow, isn't that amazing? But do you know that an egg consists of three parts? Who can tell me, what three parts does an egg have? We've got a yolk, which is the yellow. What's the other part that's also on the inside? Come on, guys. Come on, come on. The white. And then what do we have on the outside? Shell. Three parts. But guys, how many eggs is this? One egg. Wow. Isn't it amazing that it's pretty much the same with God? We serve one God, but it consists of three parts. We've got the Father, we've got Jesus, and we've got the Holy Spirit. Three parts, but it's still one God. And as I'm speaking to this ki the kids, God arrests me in that moment. Because in that moment, as I deliver that last line, I need to probably just check my notes. <laughs> God comes and he asks me this question. He says, Marcel, what does this egg do? What is the purpose of this egg? And the first thing that comes to mind is God. It, is, it brings life. And then God asks the next question, but how can this egg bring life without the white? <laughs> or if you try to remove the yellow, or if you try to crack open the shell. And I'm like, well, God, that's obviously not possible. And then God delivers this part in, in my spirit that wrecks me. He says, but Marcel, why do you expect life, but you shove the spirit to the side? But you can't... You can't hear about a gracious, good father. Or you don't accept the fullness of what Jesus has done for you. And then God says, I can only bring you life when you choose to embrace every part of who I am. Theology is a relational journey where there's reconciliation with the father, but along the way, the role of Jesus and the importance of the spirit is always equally honored. And it's so important to remember that. And this morning, it's going to start getting tough because this is the part, let me just laugh again, where I'm going to quickly pull on the holy cow's udder. <laughs> because the church has become the place where instead of incubating this egg, we are dissecting the egg. The thing is, the church is no longer a place where we can speak about the Father, and the fullness of who the Father is, and the Holy Spirit, and the fullness of who He is, and Jesus, and the fullness of who He is. Without stirring criticism, without getting people up in arms. 
And the thing is, and please hear me out, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we need to stop being immature. And we have to stop employing our own reasoning and our own opinions and our own views and all those things to put together and to defend a pick and choose doctrine. Sorry that I'm calling it that. Of what we like and dislike, of what we accept and reject of who the Father, the Spirit, and the Son is. While God's theology is scripture that finds expression in a relationship where Jesus redeems, the Holy Spirit is seen, and God the Father is esteemed. Let's take this further this morning. God seeks unity and maturity in our hearts. But the question is, what is unity and maturity? Now, a good place to find out what it's all about, go to Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 16. And if you have your Bible, you can open there. It's the, we're going to stick to this portion of Scripture together. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 16. The thing that is so crazy is as you dive into this portion of Scripture, these 16 verses, the thing that I find so intriguing is that unity and maturity is achieved by the very things that is probably causing the most disunity and division within the church. And I'll point it out for you. The things that the Bible encourages us to chase after, to, to implement in our lives, is the very things that when you speak about them in the church, they, instead of causing unity, they cause disunity and dissension. Now, if you go to verse 1 to 6, that first portion, verse, um, I'm going to jump into verse 2. It says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, if I'm talking about unity and I'm speaking about maturity, those are the type of terms you would expect that come up. Hey guys, we have to practice a humility and a gentleness and a bearing with one another and all those type of things. But as you read on from verse three, it starts getting very interesting. Let's quickly do that. Make every, um, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What did the Bible just do? It just described the Trinity. Thanks there. This guy's listening. The spirit the Son, and the Father. And this is the thing. We get challenged by the Bible to walk in the same unity of the very thing that probably causes the most ascension within the church, and that is the Trinity, which includes the Father, the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because the fact of the matter is, guys, oh, sorry, I'm being very casual. Can I be casual? I can choose brothers or sisters or guys. I'm, gonna, I'm deciding what I'm going to work with. I can stand in the front. I can speak all day about Jesus and everything he did, and people will be fine with that. But how about I start speaking about the Spirit? How about I start speaking about the gifts of the Spirit? How about I start speaking about the unexplainable things of the Spirit? We're going to see people up in arms. Let's take it further. What about I start speaking not just about a righteous father who I fully believe in, but a gracious, loving father? 
Nathan will have a line of people lined up to see him Tuesday morning when he puts his foot back in the office. It's so interesting, and please, now I'm going to really pull on this cow's udder. This Bible that it sometimes seems many people have in, keep in higher regard than the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the very Bible that is saying you must be united that the, like the Trinity. I'm just giving breaths in between. When you go to verse 7, I'm going to read verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in the train and gave gifts to men. I'm going to stop over there. The Bible does it again. If you want people knocking on the door, start speaking about grace. Oh, Masa, you shouldn't be speaking about grace. You should be telling people about what is right and wrong. You should be teaching them about the consequences thereon. Of. Because if you just speak about grace the whole time, these people are just going to continue walking in their sin. But this very Bible right here, when it starts teaching you on unity and maturity, says, how about you throw grace in there? I find it so intriguing that the, the big words, the big topics, the big terms, the big themes that, throws the, that kind of makes the church crumble at the seams is the things that the Bible is telling us, those are the things we need to model after in order to grow in our unity and maturity. Let's go to verse 10. I'm going to read from there. I'm, I'm going to catch up on verse 9. What, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors. The Bible's really at it. Because it goes on in the, these verses, and especially verse 10, it says that, this, the, that maturity and unity is attained within the Bible through the role of the apostle the prophet, the teacher, the shepherd or preacher, and the evangelist. Now, it's fine. I can preach all day and people will love it. It's even better when I teach and I really make it doc doctrinal. It, we can evangelize all day and people love it. We can evangelize for a whole week without end. But I want to ask, what will happen this morning if I put someone in front of you and I ask them to prophesy? I wonder how many people are going to walk out these doors. How about we uh, put a, allow an apostle who speaks with true vision and authority to come and take this pulpit? And what happens when his authority starts challenging our personal views, opinions, reasoning? What are we going to be chucking up in the air while we walk out and march out of these doors? If the, if the Bible is teaching us we need to embrace the, the five-fold offices, we need to realize that part of the five-fold offices are the very graces they carry and the anointings. Verse 13, I'm going to go on reading that. I'm keeping it just, we're going to keep going. Until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of, of the fullness of Christ. 
Next on it throws in there that part of this maturity is reached through faith in the fullness of who Christ is. I, was, I stopped for a moment at this. What is the fullness of Christ? What is the fullness of Christ? Because it can become very complicated. I don't have the time this morning, but if you go to, to Colossians 2 and you read from verse 6 to 23, it starts giving you a very clear picture of what the fullness of Christ is. The fullness of Christ is when we allow Jesus to be the head. It's allowing Jesus at the helm of who we are. The helm of the ship of the vessel. But my question is, why would the Bible iterate it is important that Jesus should be at the helm of who we are if there wasn't something that is competing for it? My question is, what is competing for Jesus at the helm of this vessel? And in verse 14, 14, it becomes very clear. I'm going on to read here. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Let that just sink in for a moment. This verse paints a picture of someone that is caught in a sea where uh, their own reasoning and the, and the reasoning and the opinions and the views of man is stirring up a violent tempest, the storm that is threatening to destroy their vessel. My question this morning is, is Christ at the helm of your vessel? Or is your own opinions and views and reasonings at the helm? The thing is that in so many cases, it is our own reasonings and opinions and views that we, are so hard, that we are defending with so much energy that is the very thing that is dissecting the egg instead of incubating the egg. Let's take it further. Why am I, why am I I'm hitting so hard this morning on reasoning and opinions of man? I'm not doing this because there's something wrong with it. It's not, a, it's not wrong to have an opinion. It's not wrong to, to be able to reason about something. And I want you to clearly understand that this morning. But when our reasonings and opinions that influence our personal theology is being shaped by merely a YouTube clip or a Google search, And it's starting to result with the thing that we're becoming critical towards the body. And we're attacking the body. Then, I'm, then that's a place where I, looked at my, I look inwards and I say, God, this theology needs to change. Each one of us over here, we, have, we carry a personal theology. It's the beliefs and the, and the scripture and the things that we believe and the interpretations thereof. I want to tell you this one thing this morning, and you're probably going to think, wow, is that possible? My theology is always changing. I'm saying it again loud and clear. My theology is always changing. Not because the Word of God changes. It remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it's because I'm always coming before God, and I say, God, help me to get more revelation 
Help me to get more understanding. Help me to see where I am dissecting instead of incubating. And the thing is, I'm constantly challenging and renewing my own theology. And then you know what I do? I do it through good study, getting in the Word, reading good sources. But then I always go and test that which I receive in the presence of God. And that's the mistake most of us make. Or many of us make. Is we get so set on things, so hard and fast on things, but it's all just here, but it's not in the place where it's here. And that's why we need to take what we believe to the, the place of God's presence, that it can sink from being just here to becoming something that's part of over here. This morning, Providence family, I want to speak some family business. And when we're talking family business, it can always be a bit tough to speak about certain things. But let's apply Ephesians 4. Let's remind ourselves to be gentle, to be humble, to bearing with one another with patience. Today I want to speak with you in love. Providence is at the dawn of something big. I'm going to say that again. Providence is at the dawn of something big. There's a fresh move of God that is going to start stirring things up in this house. But we, we won't even be able to keep it in locally. We're going to start seeing it impacting this region and going internationally. And I want, this very, I want everyone to understand this very clear. We are not modeling after some other church, after some other movement. Do we learn from them? Yes, we do. Do we sometimes pop in and see how they do things? Yes, but I want you, we must develop a trust for the leaders of the church and the people of this church. We have an authentic calling on this body and that's what we're chasing after. We're not trying to become some other church from the West Coast or some other coast from down South. There's a move that God has put Providence's name on, no other name. And we, will not, we cannot stop it. But life is only going to come because this new move is going to bring life. But this life will only come when we choose to embrace relationally, not just here, who the Father is, who the Spirit is, and who the Son is. And if we are standing against any part of who God is, we are standing against life. This is a big one. Listen to this. If we deny the supernatural power of God's realm, we will be limited to the human helm. I'm going to say this again. When we deny the supernatural power of God's realm, we are limited to the power of the human helm. As far as I know, I can do nothing for myself. I don't want it to be a human at the helm. I want it to be God in His fullness at the helm. And if we deny the Father to demonstrate His power in this house, we are inviting death in. Then this is no longer a church. This is a, what's that word? A morgue. If we're going to deny the Holy Spirit to demonstrate His power in this place, we're inviting death in. If we're going to deny Jesus and the fullness of his power to be demonstrated in this place, we're going to invite death in. We can steward this move, but what we need to realize humbly is that we cannot govern 
what God's going to do. And we need to stop expecting that God's going to, His move is going to go down our channels and follow our methods. And the sooner we accept that, the sooner we're going to see this move starting in this place. And Marcel, I can't come here every Sunday expecting just to sing a few songs that just stirs my mind and to hear a sermon that just agrees with my views and my opinions. I can't come here on a sudden and expect my box not to be shaken. I must be willing to change, to renew my thinking, to invite Jesus in. Because you know what? We cannot try and box God. We cannot say, God, you know what? God, you're allowed to move in the preaching, but you're not allowed to move in the worship. We cannot say, God, you're allowed to move in the preaching, but you're not allowed to move through your spirit. The fact of the matter is that some of us, we're in a place where we're doing that. And what hurts my heart so big is that we're criticizing the people that are pioneering us in the areas that clashes with our reasoning and our opinions and where we don't feel comfortable. And all we're doing is we're just limiting God to our natural home. And I'm probably going to hit on something, and I wasn't asked to say this. I say this from a personal conviction. Believe me, I've spent, there's my wife, I've spent hours praying, saying, God, let me speak what you want me to speak. One of the greatest things that's being attacked in this church that I can sense it, and I know it, not from everyone, but it's being attacked is worship. <laughs> Lord, give me the grace to say this with love, to say this with in a way that brings hearts together and that doesn't divide any person in this place. Because we expect worship to be limited to a few lyrics that only keeps our minds busy and we only allow a bit of our heart. And the moment it gets more than that, then, then people get uncomfortable and it's like, worship is an idol in this place. But the thing that I don't get and now I'm going to use the word American and I'm including myself there because my feet is on American soil. Us Americans, but I can say it about my own nationality, us South Africans do exactly the same thing. We are allowed to worship our sports, I mean. We are allowed to go to stadiums where our artists are on the stage. And then while we're there, we're allowed to jump up and express our full emotion. We can feel things. We can sense things. Sense things. It's all allowed out there. But the moment we step into the church and someone experiences a feeling or an emotion or senses something, we jump up against it. I want to tell you this. The day we can watch our favorite movie, the day we can see our greatest sportsman shooting a hoop, or be in the front row of our favorite artist at, at their biggest concert. Or let me make it real personal. Go watch our child at a soccer match or some sports game and not experience a bit of emotion. That's the day we can expect people to worship God without being stirred in every part of who they are.
You know what I'm saying, guys? And this is what we need to understand. I'm not saying it's wrong when we have a fun time out there. But we can enjoy God very much the same and even more. You know what I'm tired of? I'm going to finish that up. I'm tired of this thing. I'm going to plow with you, Michael. I'm tired of, uh, of seeing kids that are standing in shock. I don't know if it's shock or awe of, of a man that can dance before God, that can express himself without a, a moment of fearing man around him. And then kids, why are our kids responding like that? Because it's what they see in us. God is calling us to more. He's calling us to a place where we just stop dissecting, where we just say, Holy Spirit, come and, come and move and work in us. I'm just, I've got a lot of notes and I just want to make sure I'm going where we should be going. I, I'm, I'm going to invite us as we close this service that we're all going to stand up. You don't have to do it right now. And I want to ask you this one thing, that when you stand up, that you take a moment to say, God, where am I dissecting who you are and killing the life of who you are? Maybe you're struggling with the aspect of who the Father is that is maybe being preached about in this church. Or maybe you're struggling about things with the Spirit. Maybe your struggle is on the total opposite um, spectrum. Like myself, I'm going to throw this out there. And if I'm, if I'm crucified for this, wonderful. I, I can't wait. I, myself, I've got such a strong gifting of the, of, um, the prophetic. But I don't open my mouth over here. You know what? Me not being true to my gifting is just as much dissecting the life as the person who stands against it. So what I'm asking is whether you are for it or you are against it, the thing is, are we engaging in it? And that's what we're going to do when we stand up. We're going to say, God, wherever I'm not engaging in it, I bring it before you and come and change me. And we're going to be singing a worship song. The prayer team, I think you should come up. And I want to, I want to say, for a moment, let's be like a Michael Sheasley. He says, I don't care about the peoples who have fear around me. I don't fear what people think about me. If you want to come forward and you just want to kneel before God or you want to be in your seat, we're going to stand up. If you have to leave, you can leave. But the... The worship does not have to leave and the work of God in our hearts does not have to finish and be completed. So let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.